0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area.
1: Now, if you'd open your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Colossians chapter 1, Uh, This evening we're going to look at this chapter and this is our third lesson in our study of the doctrine of the church and my topic tonight is the ministry of the church and the word ministry is derived from the Greek word diakonia which is the same word from which we get deacon. It's a word that means service and that of course is the chief work of a deacon is to be a person who serves the Lord but ministry comes from that word And as I use this word this evening, I want to speak of the service of the church. What is the ministry of the church? What does the church do collectively as a means of service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, here in this first chapter of Colossians, we have a great explanation of what we are to do. And I remind you that when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, that most of them were written to churches... And it was about such things as service, and even when he wrote individual letters to Timothy and to Titus, uh, those letters were also about how they should serve as ministers of the church and then how to teach others to serve as well. Now, if you'll look here in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at this for two or three weeks because there is so much here. Uh, We have a rather long reading tonight, but this is really necessary because often When Paul wrote, it's really hard to start into the middle of anything that he wrote because his thoughts all flow together. So we're going to start reading at verse number 9, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. And if you didn't get your Bible reading in last week, uh, I'm going to help you here get a uh, a good start on filling your quota for this coming week. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of ...of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son... ...in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created... And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in uh, in the faith grounded and settled And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God." even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, that is really just a great passage, and it's sort of a compendium on all the major areas of church ministry. And I don't know where we could find a better comprehensive statement of church work than what we find in this first chapter. Now, when we speak of ministry, I could very easily say the mission of the church, because the ministry of God's church is the mission for God's people. And I hope in the first two messages, as we've looked at church, uh, the importance of the church and uh, what God would have us to do in his church, that we see really what the church does and the importance of it in God's present economy. The church is the way that God works in the world. And there are no other organizations that have been given the responsibility to do what the church does. Now, I know that there are many uh, so-called parachurch organizations, and they say that they are doing the work of the church, or they talk about being assistants to the church. Sometimes you'll hear them say that they are an arm of the church. But I don't really find anything in Scripture, any mandate in Scripture, for anything like a parachurch organization. Now, usually, uh, the parachurch grows out of the universal invisible church theory, which we looked at last week, and we found that that is not a biblical concept. So all the works that uh, are of the church have to be outgrowths of the local visible visible assembly of believers. And since there is nothing else in Scripture that has been given to uh, accept the local visible church, that's been given to do God's work, then we're the ones that have to do it. And so we can't say that there are any other God-sanctioned organizations that work independently of the local church. Now, lest you get too bit out of shape about what I've said about parachurch organizations, they can be used, but only when they are connected to the Lord's church, when the church is the one who gives them the authorization for what they do. And this is one of the reasons that we don't ship out our money to missionaries that don't have a connection with the local church. Uh, We don't give it to any other type of organization that does not have authorization that comes from one of the Lord's churches. So that means that we are, and churches like us, churches of like faith and order, we are the ones that are charged with the responsibility of doing God's ministry. We are the ones that accomplish God's mission in the world. So what are we to do? Well, let me state by further explanation that we can only do what God tells us to do. That we're ministers. We are servants of Christ And servants don't have the option of doing anything other than what God has told them to do. See, a servant doesn't choose his own mission. The minister, the servant of Christ, is chosen and given a mission to do. He has an assigned task that comes from a higher authority, and he doesn't have the liberty to change the orders that he's been given. He must do exactly what God tells him to do. Now, we're talking about the one who is the Almighty, who is the supreme creator of the universe... And so we can't assume that we can do anything other than what the omnipotent, omniscient God has given us the authority to do. Now, I just wanted to make that point clear to you at the beginning. As Christians, we are not free to work outside of the church. We must be attached to the church. And that's very clear in the New Testament. And so in scriptural terms, there is no such thing as a freelance Christian We all work through the church, and we have to do the assigned work that God has given. So what is that work that God has given us to do? And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But if I was to give you just 30 seconds here to think about this for just a moment, I think everybody here, I hope you know what I'm going to say first. That what is it that the church is to do? What is the primary, number one work of the Lord's church? And I'll just give you the answer. I think you already know it. The, the first thing that we are to do, above all other works, this is what we do, is we give glory to God. Now, since we're talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief ministry of the church, then, is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. This is the number one thing that we do. We exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's first on the list, and in one sense, that's the only thing that's on the list, Because all of the other works that we'll talk about, everything else that we do, flows up into that one supreme purpose that everything that we do exalts Christ. Now, here in this first chapter of Colossians, we find unmistakable exaltation. When I think about exalting Christ, I think of great texts that we find in Scripture. Uh, If I look at Ephesians chapter 1 and that great passage that paul wrote there where he begins with 14 verses without taking a break i mean it almost seems like he can't take a breath as he just lifts up christ in the work that he did in redemption or i might go to the 11th chapter of romans and they're reading about the electing grace of god and how he says that he's always going to have a remnant of believers he'll always preserve a remnant paul breaks out into a doxology in verse number 33 where he exalts jesus christ But I don't think that we find a better expression of Christ's glory than what we find right here in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 15, it says, Who is the image, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now I almost feel like we ought to just camp right here and spend all the rest of the time tonight talking about what a wonderful Savior that we have. He is such a great savior that I don't see how anyone can justify diverting attention from him and pushing any other agenda than what we do for Christ. I don't understand how you have churches that get into power struggles where they're torn apart by people that are pushing their own agenda. And we find preachers that push their own agenda. We find some that want to build a ministry for their name, they're building a ministry for what they do, rather than exalting Christ. Now you already know how I feel about preacher worship, so I'm not going to say too much about that now. But we look at the Apostle Paul, and we see that he was a great preacher. He was an outstanding minister, and if he'd wanted to, he, he could have had his own little kingdom of followers, if that's what he chose. But he warned people. He, he, he warned the Corinthians, for instance, about magnifying preachers instead of Christ. And he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he never said, follow me, because I'm the one who's the Hebrew of the Hebrews, that I am the the, the beginning and I am the end. I'm, the, I'm all that there is. I'm the end all. No, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And often... So many church members are more interested in the personal recognition that they get out of ministry than they are in actually exalting Jesus Christ. Now, I like this statement that was made by William Downing. He said, the church does not exist for the sake, interest, or convenience of either its members or society at large. Rather, its existence is for the glory of God in all things. God created all things for his own glory, including his church. Thus the church is corporately to seek the glory of God in its worship, obedience, evangelism, fellowship, and ministry, and love of the truth. So how do we exalt Christ? Well, we do it only by the truth. This is a very important thing for us to understand. And how do we know truth? Well, we only know it one way, only one way, and that is God's word is truth. Uh, You need to make a note of that because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the living word and he is all truth. Now, there are plenty of opinions about truth. I mean, you'll meet people that have all different kinds of ideas about who God is and, and they have their own thoughts about what the truth is. And frequently, you'll run into those kinds of opinions if you've talked to very many people about the Lord. But the only truth that we have, the only way that we can make a decision about who God is and what to believe about Him is what we find revealed in God's Word. We know about God through the Word. And we exalt Christ through the truth that we find in God's Word. Now, that is actually a primary function of exaltation, that the only way that we can exalt Christ is if we know truth about Him and preach truth about Him. Now, two important statements that I want you to take note of this evening The first is that we exalt Christ by upholding truth. We exalt Christ by upholding truth. And then the Word of God says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. This is what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15. He said the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So the church upholds truth. And I might add also that that is a peculiar function of... Of the church this is what we do we uphold truth now as I said in the beginning God does his work in the world only through the church and so we have the responsibility of being the ones that uphold that truth And this is why you see so many parachurch organizations that have held on to truth for a little while, but because they're not connected to a New Testament church, many of them very quickly go off into apostasy, and they have all different kinds of untruths that they begin to preach. I was was speaking to the Irvines just a few weeks ago about a television ministry, and a, a preacher that once seemed to uphold the truth. But I know that he was a man that really didn't have a connection with the local church. He tried to work outside of the church, and the thing that happened to him, that without church authority, he went off into some very bad heretical doctrine. And there are many ministries that are like that. There are ministries of men that no longer hold to the truth because they stayed outside of the church. And the longer that you stay outside of the church, the further that you get away from truth. There is no pillar and ground of the truth but the church. Now, notice what Paul says. Let me read to you from Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now there Paul tells us that the church has as its foundation the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ, it's attached to Jesus Christ who is the tried and true cornerstone. The church is the foundation of the truth, and that's why it's called the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, what is the truth? It's the word of God. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so when God speaks, he speaks truth. And God has spoken to us through the prophets. He's spoken to us through the apostles. And most gloriously, he's spoken to us through the incarnation of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so we find God's words in the Holy Scriptures and we take our directions from the truths that are found in his word. And when Jude... The Scripture says, Behold, when I, or beloved rather, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now we take careful note of that because contrary to the belief of Roman Catholicism and some others, they believe, Roman Catholicism in particular, believes that the church gives authority to the Word of God. But the Word is what actually gives authority to the church. And so that means that the church doesn't have the authority to alter Scripture, that we can't change anything in Scripture, that we don't have the liberty to modify anything in the Bible. We don't have the authority to change anything, to substitute anything, or to neglect anything that is in the Word of God. Now, all of that has been done by those that believe that there is another authority besides the Word of God. Roman Catholicism has myriads of unauthorized changes. And so we would say that theirs is a ministry of alteration rather than a ministry of exaltation. And what they've done is they've stolen away the glory of Christ, and they've given it to their popes, they've taken... Uh, they've they've committed mass thievery by taking the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ alone, and they give it to their prelates and to their bishops and to their magisterium. They give it to saints and angels or anyone else that they think that they can, uh, thereby they can have control over the people. So they have their papal bulls, they have their councils, they have their encyclicals, and those usurp the authority of the Word of God and the authority of Christ. That's where they get the mess of the mass. That's where they get their mariolatry. It's where they get their indulgences, their confessional, their reprobate rosaries, and all of their other satanic sacrifices. You look at others, like the Mormons. They have authorities other than the Word of God, which actually means that they place no value on the Word of God at all because if there's anything that they do or anyone else does that countermands the commands of Scripture... It means they don't respect the authority of God's Word. But the Word of God is actually what we're told to hold on to. This is the thing that we're called to defend. Jude says we must earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And he couldn't have had anything other in mind than what had been received by the apostles, by those prophets, by Jesus Christ, and through all this working of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so... Jude was defending the faith as the same as defending the word of God that we receive our faith from. Now the scriptures tell us that it is the word of God that makes us wise unto salvation. It says that it is by the word of God that we're born again. It says the word of God is what sanctifies us. And the word says without holiness we shall not see God. And what does the word do? It exalts Christ. It's the word that we just read a moment ago and... Colossians chapter 1 that said that Christ must have the preeminence. Now, we've just finished a long study about the Holy Spirit. And in that study, we learned a lot about what the Holy Spirit does. And there is no work of the Holy Spirit that's more important than this. He's called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus said when he left the world, he told his disciples that he would send them the Spirit of Truth. do you remember what he said that the spirit of truth does? And I hope you haven't so soon forgotten John 16, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus said that the spirit of truth would speak of him and glorify him. That's the ministry of the church. That's the ministry of the truth that exalts Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to diligently contend for the truth, this faith that was once delivered to the saints. So the church according to the word of God, is the pillar and ground of the truth, that it is the depository, it is the keeper of truth. And that's an awesome responsibility for us. When you think about that, this group here and here tonight, uh, the Berean Baptist Church, this is our responsibility. We are a depository of truth. And nobody's going to be saved without the truth. Nobody ever got saved by believing a lie. And so if we don't diligently guard the truth then Satan comes in and he seasons that with error. Now, he's very subtle. He never comes in and overtly overthrows truth immediately, but he sprinkles untruths here and there, and he puts just enough untruth in there to keep people out of heaven. Well, that's the way that Satan worked in the very first deception. In the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do other than to distort truth? Now, it's kind of interesting that Satan started with an exaggeration of self-importance. He tempted Eve, and he said, Eve, if you'll eat of the tree, then you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, there was some truth in that statement. It was a half-truth. Yes, they would know good and evil, but they would not be gods. And that's very interesting when you compare it to some of the things that we talked about in the study of the Holy Spirit I was talking about the charismatics and how they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And one of the comments I made is that I I just really have a hard time believing that many of the leaders of that movement are actually saved. I mean, if you're going to follow someone and believe them, I I think that you'd want to know this. I mean, you want some confidence whether that person is actually a Christian. Does he know the Lord? But I don't think that many of them are saved because I don't think that uh, they could teach what they do and have the Spirit of truth in them. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead them into some of the wild, heretical doctrines that they teach. And if the Holy Spirit's not in them, then they can't be saved. But thinking about this and what Satan did in the Garden of Eden, it's it's interesting that one of the doctrines that Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer and others of them teach, they have this doctrine that they teach that they are little gods, that they actually believe they become gods. I heard Joyce Meyer say that she doesn't sin. She said that she stopped sinning. And I suppose it follows that if you can't sin, you must be God, because Jesus said there is none good but God. So she's a, a, a little God that doesn't sin. Uh, doesn't that sound exactly what Satan told, the lie that he told in the Garden of Eden? He said, Eve, God knows and in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you eat of that tree, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. Now, do you see why I say that those people can't be saved? I mean, if you've exalted yourself to be God, you've stolen away the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. You've stolen away his preeminence. You've exalted yourself. And you can't be any child of his by exalting yourself. But that's what Satan does. He sneaks in, he peppers the truth with his lies. And so do you see what the church has to be? It must be a guardian of truth. God put us here to uphold truth. Because as soon as the truth is destroyed, so is the exaltation of Christ. You can't take away the truth of Christ because God is only glorified when he's known to be all that he is. And so that's what the church must do. It must stand on the truth and at the same time stand against heretical teachings. This is what John said in Second John Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now someone says to me, why are you so hard on Joyce Meyer? And on Kenneth Copeland, and why do you climb the Roman Catholic Church all the time? Why do you speak out against them? Why don't you just acknowledge that everybody has their own opinion? Everybody thinks something. We're all in this for the same purpose. We're all working for the same thing. And there's truth in all religions. Well, do you know that's actually the whole problem? There is truth in all religions. And you may be surprised to hear me say that, but there is truth in all religions. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Because the most dangerous position to be in is to have a little bit of truth and not have the whole truth. The Muslims have some truth. Mormons have some truth. Roman Catholics have some truth. Satan himself had some truth, didn't he? He quoted Scripture to Jesus in the temptation. Now, the problem is he had truth, but he didn't know how to apply it. And this is the way many churches are. They have just enough truth to send you to hell. And that's why we have to be on our guard against false teachers. That's why I identify people like Joyce Meyer as a Jezebel and Joel Osteen as an offender of truth. I mean, the ultimate test of a false teacher is the doctrine. Now, do you know what Paul said in Ephesians after talking about the foundation of the church, which is the prophets? He said the apostles in Christ he said in the fourth chapter that God has given us pastors and teachers and he gave the apostles for the purpose of building us up in the faith so that we'd have the knowledge that is the correct knowledge of the Son of God. And then he said that we must come to the stature of the fullness of Christ and he wrote that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. That's what the church has to do. It has to be a pillar and ground of the truth. God has given the church to -to uphold truth, and that means not only the positive aspects of, of teaching the word of God, but also the negative side of this in identifying false teachers and warning people about the things that they teach. Now, are there Christians that are actually led away by false doctrines? Well, of course there are. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so much warning in the Scripture to be on the lookout for it. Paul told the Ephesian elders that when he left, that there would be wolves that would come in and they wouldn't spare the flock. He said, they will draw disciples away after them. So there are false churches that do have some real believers... I mean, we've never maintained that all true believers are in Baptist churches and that's the only place you're going to find a real believer. No, there are some people that have been led astray. And when they're not in true churches, they cease that function that God has given us to be the upholders of the truth. And every degradation of truth is also a degradation of the exaltation of Christ. And so that's why I speak about false teachers. That's why we don't give them any slack. They don't exalt Christ. Now, I started to say a minute ago, and I got a little bit sidetracked on this, that Satan tempted Eve to take away from the glory of God by telling her that she could be God. Now, that doctrine of little gods, then, as I've just showed you, is something that comes right out of the Bible. It's in the Bible, all right. It's just the problem is that Satan's the one who taught it. But I also want to mention in that same vein that self-exaltation is part and parcel to that same doctrine. I mean, all this teaching that we have today of self-esteem and elevating self-worth is just another one of Satan's ways to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus and to focus on something else. And what do most people like to focus on better than anything else but self? This is what we prefer to think about. And that's another way that the exaltation of Christ is destroyed because the more that you think about yourself, the less that you think about Christ and of others. And the Word of God tells us that Christ came to be the servant of all. It says he made himself of no reputation. While on the other hand, the self-esteem and the prosperity preachers don't do anything but try to build reputation. The Word of God says that he divested himself of his wealth when he stepped down from glory, while they're teaching people to scratch and claw and focus all attention they have on getting wealth. I listened to a guy the other day. And his whole message was this, don't let anybody tell you that it's not in your power to become wealthy. And his message was teaching the congregation to be systematic about it, to go about it like this, that do the best that you can to earn your first hundred dollars and then celebrate that. And then start off on the second hundred dollars and then work your way up to a thousand. And when you get to a thousand, celebrate that. And when you've got to a thousand, work on ten thousand, and then when you've got to ten thousand, work on a hundred thousand. And the reason is because God wants you to be wealthy, and He wants you to be methodical about it. Now they have, they're great; they have a great grasp of Scripture because they say, "Now don't expect for God to give it to you all at once. Be systematic about it, and then you'll finally get to the place where God wants you to be. You just have to perform all the steps that you're supposed to do." So in other words, he's leading them directly away from Christ. I mean, here's a man who's supposed to be a Christian minister. He had a huge following in a big, big church. But those people would never end up like Christ listening to that garbage. Now, if God blesses you with wealth, then praise him for that. I mean, that's a wonderful thing because the reason he gives you wealth is for what? To give more to him and to his work. That's the whole purpose of it. I mean, he gives you more, you can give more to him. Now, that's a great thing. But if you start out with this idea, that your goal is to get wealthy because you think that kingdom kids ought to drive Cadillacs, then you've got the wrong idea. You don't have the humility of Christ. You see, in order to exalt Christ, you have to take him for all that he is. And the word of God reveals all that he is. Paul said, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. And if where you're going ends up somewhere different than Christ, then it can't be something that came from God. I mean, how many times have I reminded you that Jesus said, if you follow me and if you are my disciples, that you'll face everything that I faced. And I didn't find any golden chariots in the life of Christ. And that's why we have to guard truth at all costs. The church has been given the ministry. It's chief of all, and all else flows into that like rivers flow into the sea. So we have to, have to uphold the truth because truth exalts Christ. Now, I thought that was worth spending our time on tonight. I mean, I've only scratched the surface of this. Uh, if we were to just talk about, list all the reasons why Christ should be exalted, then we'd never be able to touch another subject. But I just want to leave you with this, that truth does exalt Jesus Christ. John said the world couldn't contain all the books that would be written about how wonderful our Lord and Savior is, how wonderful the King is. So where do we find time to do anything other than to exalt him? That's the most important work that we do in the church. That's the mission and the ministry. And as we go through these other things, all of the other sub-points that we talk about will come back to this. Everything that we do exalts Christ. Are you thankful for Christ? And are you thankful to be, I hope you are, to be in a church that places a premium on God's Word? I mean, this is why we open up the Bible every time we come into the service. We never leave a Bible at home because this is what God has given us to teach and that's all we want to teach. So we're not going to abandon the Bible. I mean, we're sworn, we are sworn by the Holy Spirit, to uphold the truth. And we do it because truth exalts Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. What a great passage that we've read in the book of Colossians. So much there, uh, we just barely just scratch a little bit of it. Lord, we thank you for our Savior who came into the world. And we can't do anything but sit back in awe and amazement at the salvation that's been given us in him. Lord, we pray that this would be our chief aim, that always on our minds, that we want to exalt Christ. Lord, I do pray that we'd always be in a search for the truth of Your Word, and we realize that there are people that don't agree with every doctrine that we teach, but there is a truth out there that needs to be found. And we do pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would guide us, and we'd be always searching to find that truth and in all ways to serve you to the best of our ability by knowing the truth of your word. Bless our people. We're thankful for each one who's come tonight. Lord, help us to keep it this on our mind this week that we do want to exalt you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,